Welcome back to the art and science of sound healing. I'm your host, Thomas Orr Anderson, recording from my cozy mountain cabin studio here in Sewanee, Tennessee. Today we have a very, very exciting guest, Mike Tamburo. He is an extraordinary character in a lot of ways. He is a musician, first and foremost, I suppose. We'll leave that up to him to tell you if that's really a direct or an accurate description. But he's very well known for his work with gongs, particularly. He uh, does sound therapy work. He teaches a lot of amazing workshops. And he has a very extraordinary life story particularly regarding his experiences with listening. And listening will be the primary theme of the show today, but I'm sure we'll go off on lots of interesting and exciting tangents. I am blessed that he is actually here in the studio with us. And let's welcome Mike Tamburo. Thank you, Thomas. I'm going to correct you on my last name. It's Tamburo. Tamburo. Woo! But uh, it is, like many mantras, it is often mispronounced, but uh, the effect is still there. So yeah, I'm, I'm just a guy, and uh, I've had many wonderful experiences with sound, uh, with music, with listening. Uh, it, it's been a great life adventure, and uh, grateful to be here with you today, Thomas. <laughs> hey, to, to kick us off, could you tell us um, just some of your story regarding your ears and listening and kind of how that led up to your career in, of, of being a listener and a teacher and a player, just kind of the background of sound's role in your life because you have a very interesting sound story to tell. Sure. Uh, So I I was born with a very intense and long-lasting ear infection. And specifically, uh, I had issues with my eustachian tube, which were uh, essentially not draining for about the first three years of my life. Uh, So much so that, you know, I I had, you know, fluid coming out of my ears. My, My eardrums were pushed out of place uh, at one point and I uh, had to have a number of different tube surgeries um, and I had my adenoids removed, had part of my my, uh, my nasal cavity shaved, uh, lots of issues. At certain points, they figured that I was not hearing anything at all uh, when I was a child and uh, many of my earliest memories are actually experiencing the physicality of sound. Uh, My father would sit me near his speakers or between his speakers and play his favorite music for me. Um, You know, so much so that I really couldn't imagine there being anything more noble than than music. Uh, You know, a lot of my early memories with with my father, you know, were very much 
getting into the sound in different ways, uh, beyond just hearing with my, my ears, but actually hearing with my body, uh, feeling the vibrations through my body, through my skin. Um, so I, I had a number of, of surgeries with my, with my ears, and unfortunately this left me susceptible to uh, having the eardrum ruptured, especially with changes uh, in pressure. So I've ruptured my right eardrum seven times, my left eardrum five times. And uh, at certain points in my life, I you know, had very little hearing in one ear, or at one point in my life, uh, the last time that my eardrums were ruptured, which was when I was around 24, I think, uh, I had lost hearing in both ears. Um, I had... 15% of my right eardrum left and uh, 25% of my my left eardrum was left. Uh, at this point, I could really only hear sounds probably above like 3,000 hertz. Uh, so, you know, talking, bo 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 was kind of like the sound that I would hear. You know, like bass, I had no articulation in in bass sounds at all. Uh, I could really mostly hear bird sounds and maybe like the upper sounds of, uh, of people's voices. Uh, that was a very difficult time for me. Um, but also in learning how to, you know, hear at, at uh, you know, from the age three on, I went through many, many years of speech therapy. I don't think that I could say that the TH sounds, this, the, that, those, until... I was 11 years old. Uh, I'd seen a speech pathologist from the time I was three until the time I was 12. Uh, so lots of, uh, also seeing lots of audiologists and, you know, test tones, sine waves. These were, you know, sounds that I was very, very used to at a very early age, you know, like, do, do. do you hear it in this ear? Do you hear it in this ear? Uh, and, and really kind of just exploring my hearing, like what could I hear, what could I not hear? Uh, this was something that, you know, I, I spent years exploring. Um, so, you know, coming back to the physicality of, of sound, I think from a very, very early age, you know, I already had this understanding that sound was, you know, experienced more than with just our ears. And that, you know, sound was also something that was very time-based. Um, as, I, as I began to be able to hear, um, you know, my parents got me all sorts of different instruments. Uh, air organs uh, were, were probably my favorite, and I would just grab clusters of tones and, and, and hold the sounds down for as long as I could and, you know, listen to the sounds oscillate over time. Uh, and, and the different patterns that happened whenever, you know, I'd, I would listen to, I guess, long drones. Uh, they also gave me a lot of percussion instruments, clarinets, recorders, um, keyboards, you know, all sorts of different instruments. And uh, I think that something that I loved about all of them was when I could really feel the sound, um, you know, something really beautiful happened to me whenever, you know, the, the, the sound felt tangible and, and, and the sound, uh, you know, moved me in a different way, more than just through 
through listening with my ears. Uh, and, and, and much of my work, if you look at, uh, you know, even my work with strings, it's, it's very much, you know, following the same, the same idea, you know, like listening to these pulsations happening over time. I do a lot of layering uh, with, with my work and a lot of, uh, you know, interesting intervals that, that I feel, uh, you know, delight me, <laughs> I guess, in certain ways. And, um, but there's always been, you know, like this, this kind of like sense of, of the nuance. And, uh, you know, my first time where I, I, I believed in God, um, I, I was just looking at the strings on, on one of my instruments vibrating and, and just watching the, uh, you know, the patterns form along the string. And I was watching and listening so closely that it was almost like my, my, my vision from, you know, the perspective of looking at the string that was a few inches from me, it was almost like I entered into the string and was experiencing, you know, the vibration at this kind of like microcosmic level, you know, it was like my perception had shifted to, uh, you know, where I could just feel the string all around me, almost as if I was viewing it in that way as well. That's a lot of very interesting things. There are very few musicians particularly that have had so little, uh, so many challenges with their ears and in the time I've gotten to spend with you, I've noticed, um, and in fact, it's worn off on me, your ability to listen and to hear in a way that's more attentive to the subtleties of sound than, than anyone else I've ever been around. And I'm, I'm actually really grateful. A couple of weeks ago, I got to co-teach a workshop with Mike and uh, his lovely wife, Galena, and we were working with gongs and with listening, and I was kind of in charge of the physics part mostly. But as a sort of after effect of that experience with you, I have heard so many more layers of sound, or it's actually layers that I was already hearing, but they've become sort of more conscious or I'm better oriented in that world. Um, so yeah, you have a, that's a really amazing thing that you've gone through with your ears. And I, I see in your work and the way you teach and whatnot, and you're playing that it's definitely had benefits. I think that's a really beautiful thing that we could all keep in mind is that a lot of things that seem like challenges or problems, if if we face them in a way, a special way, we can actually get a sort of power through them. It's actually very traditional with, you know, medicine people or shamans in traditional cultures. Very often they face some sort of, you know, drastic, even sometimes life or death kind of trial. And through facing it head on, they gain some sort of special knowledge or special power through that challenge and you've obviously done that through listening and hearing through your challenges with the ears could you tell us a little bit about what instruments you play and then particularly if you could uh, talk about the gong and how you were brought to that 
Yeah, I, uh, you know, there's there's varying levels of how well I play each instrument, and often I've I've learned how to play an instrument just enough to be able to play it for a recording. Uh, so, as far as my my discography is con- concerned, I have uh, probably played around forty plus instruments, and I've also built instruments in order to. Uh, in order to play, you know, certain sounds that I'm interested in hearing. Um, but, you know, instruments that I feel confident on, uh, hammer dulcimer is probably my, my favorite of the instruments that I play. We got the jam last night. He was on the hammer dulcimer and I was on the doom and that was a lot of fun. (laughs) It was was a ton of fun. Uh, and, and also, you know, guitar Uh, growing up, I was, you know, very, interested in in guitarists there was almost like a, a comic book like mythos around guitarists for me uh and and you know i definitely had and and have my own take on the guitar um my first instrument i would say was that i i became very proficient at was the tape recorder uh and i had this little tape recorder that my father gave me for uh, my fifth birthday and uh, it was kind of funny. He played this this funny little game on me. He uh, recorded his voice, like knocking, and uh, hello, let me out of here, let me out of here. <laughs> and and I kept hearing this voice. And I was running around, running around the house, like you know, there's somebody locked up somewhere. You know what's going on? And then you know, I opened the basement door, and and I find this little red tape recorder. And uh, with that, I just you know really got into creating sound collage at a really early age, uh, and you know some of these tapes are just you know ridiculous, like everything from me like chanting my my new phone number to you know recording my mother snoring to um, you know essentially like cars driving by, my dogs barking, and and it would just be like you know one sound to the next to the next. I just loved. You know, collecting all these sounds. Um, play, I play uh, Shahi Baja, which is an Indian string instrument. Um, I play uh, banjo. I play percussion. Um, you know, I have a huge in- interest in uh, metal instruments and uh, you know the gong specifically. Uh, is is a major interest for me, but also I, I love uh, you know just tuned metal in general, and and I have a very large collection of of tuned metal instruments. Um, I, I can at this point play almost anything with strings. Uh, not too great at the cello, but you know I, I can make it work a little bit. Um, clarinet, saxophone. Um, you know, just really whatever you give me, I, I can probably figure out some way to make a sound. But I, I've really, you know, over the years, my main studies now have been guitar, hammer dulcimer, clarinet, uh, and then, you know, percussion. Uh, but rather, you know, than necessarily this type of percussion, I've really been interested in, uh, you know, percussion that where the sound sustains for a very long period of time where you know an instrument an instrument like the gong or like the bell uh you know there there's you know sometimes two minutes of sustain on some of these instruments i've i've one bell that sustains for three and a half minutes um and these instruments really you know 
turn me on, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I started studying tuning at, at a very early age and uh, in interval relationships at a very early age. And uh, I think in hindsight, mostly in order to uh, you know, help me with, with what I took as maybe being a uh, damaged uh, sense of hearing. You know, like I, having lost my hearing in one ear or the other over, over the years, you know, I was like, how many different ways can I get to know music? How many different ways can I get to know sound? You know, what if I get to a point where I can never hear again? Um, and, and so in this, I was like, well, there are so many ways to look at music. We could look at uh, music mathematically as well. And, um, you know, so I got into you know, very simple tuning math, uh, just essentially using, you know, different ratios to look at, uh, you know, how intervals worked. And, um, you know, got very into microtonal music and specifically very close beating patterns within intervals. Um, so like, whoa, 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 whoa. Those are kind of my, my, my favorite sounds. Uh, and, and the gong, the bells, you know, they, 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 they produce these sounds very well. And, um, you know, also looking at time has been very important to, you know, the work that I'm doing. Because you can, uh, like, say if you were tuning a guitar and you had two strings and it created like a wave, like, whoa, or like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, for me to play a song, well, yeah, that's out of tune. Uh, but what if I just listen to these sounds as sounds? You know, and really what we have are, you know, two very close relationships between, you know, these, these tones. And, you know, I, I had a huge interest in that. And, and, uh, and of course, sometimes, you know, if I'm tuning to play with somebody else, I, you know, I'm, I'm tuning as perfectly as I can. But I started saying to myself, well, what if I can create a, a music around, you know, these beating patterns? You know, what if I can use that as, as a tool? Uh, so many of the instruments I'm having created now, uh, you know, Martin Blasse from Germany creates uh, these triangles, these tuned triangles that spin kind of like uh, Burma bells or Kizi bells, but uh, just so well tuned. I'm working with a lot of very specific intervals with those. Uh, he's also made me what he calls gong oblong, uh, which have a very long sustain and, uh, and then Nikolai Legevsky is making me bilas. Uh, so with these types of instruments, I can really explore intervals over time, you know, from the attack, from the, the strike of, of the instrument, and then the beating pattern and the oscillation that happens throughout the, uh, you know, the, the duration. And, and, and sometimes you'll hear something that's like, you know, very, you'll hear maybe like the fundamentals are beating together first, and then you start hearing like the harmonics and, and, and how they're expressing themselves over time. Uh, so a lot of my music is, is, is definitely interested in that, and it's all very time-based. Um, I'm also very interested in looping, and, um, you know, became exposed to looping probably around 1991, I think. And to me, the looper and delay pedals have kind of been, you know, they're like an instrument in themselves to me. And, uh, you know, my, my first looper was like a two-second digital delay pedal. Uh, I used to make like loops out of answering machine cassettes. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, finally I got like an eight-second looper. And, and, and now, you know, I have 
you know, kind of like an infinite looper uh, as far as, you know, I could loop things for like 90 minutes if I wanted to. Um, but, you know, being able to listen to sound repeat itself and, and, and you know, how I would change as, as, you know, something was playing, how my perspective would, would shift, how I could listen deeper or how I could add, you know, a new phrase and then have that repeat back at me. Uh, these were things that really interested me quite a bit. And I think that comes back to my love for the tape recorder as well. Thanks for sharing all that. There's a, I have a unlimited array of questions. I'd like to go on tangents, but first I'd like to ask you, you have a lot of experience with the healing side of sound. You've done sound healing or sound therapy work of various sorts and your your gong concerts, which you play a lot of other instruments besides gongs, but they're very gong-centric. Sure. I'm playing about 80 instruments during yeah. my, my concerts usually. But the, the gong is the sort of the, the big one that everybody sees and notices the most. They probably, a lot of people would probably call it a gong concert, even though you're playing so many. Um, you have a lot of experience with sound healing work in a sense, in a variety of ways. And you also have a very deep awareness and focus upon intervals and frequencies and, you know, tonal relationships and beating. Um, since this show is about, you know, our fundamental const or our fundamental basis is, you know, sound healing. Um, this is something that comes up a lot on this show and also in everywhere in the world of sound healing is there's a, a very big focus in the world upon frequencies and that being really fundamental to sound healing. And I personally, you, you already know this because we've discussed it at great length, but I personally kind of approach it from a different angle and don't think of frequencies as being so primary to sound healing work in, in my experience. And you are far more focused on frequencies and intervals than I am in your work because you have, you're really deep into tuning your instruments and the relationships between the frequencies of sound coming out of them. And yeah, so could you tell, tell us a little bit about your thoughts about the relationship between frequencies and your experiences in utilizing sound in various healing modalities or uh, healing type experiences or environments? Hmm. Well, you know, every sound has, you know, a number of frequencies or every musical sound has a number of frequencies that, that come along with it. So, I mean, you know, pitch is definitely an important aspect of, uh, you know, the work that, that I'm doing and, and, and the work of all music, of course. And, and, you know, also timbre is very important as well. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. I'll, I'll say where I've erred in the past, uh, somewhere in, in this as well. Um, but I had, you know, great interest in, in, you know, just the effect, the psychoacoustic effect of, of music and, and of sound, even before I thought that sound could be healing. Uh, I did not really, you know, consider the, the healing aspects of, of sound until 
uh, you know, I was playing the hammer dulcimer and, and, and the sound hole essentially uh, directs all the vibration towards the chest. And as I was, as I was playing the dulcimer, I just started getting these like very, you know, deeply emotionally moving sensations moving through my chest and moving through, uh, moving through my body. And, uh, you know, I'd just weep and weep and weep as I was playing. And I let go of so much grief and, and, and so much sadness that I had. Now, I wasn't playing just one, one frequency here. I was playing a number of different, uh, different strings and, and, you know, they all have harmonics that come along with them, even, even beyond the, the bass tone. But, uh, and I was also playing rhythm. Uh, so for me to isolate, say, only frequency for, and, and say that only frequency is healing, I feel like we're missing a part of the picture of, of what music really is. Or, or even what, you know, like the relationship between the listener and, and, and the instrument is. And, um, you know, to me... There's like a whole picture that comes along with it, including, you know, the energy that the that the performer is is giving off. Uh, I, I think is really, you know, a huge picture. But um, you know, as far as you know, to talk more specifically about what you're saying, when we really start looking at uh, you know the relationship between intervals, I mean, we can look at consonants and we can look at dissonance. Uh, now, I'm a, I'm a person who actually really likes both. Uh, some people do not, jazz, I like jazz, I like minimalism, uh, I mean, I like a lot of 20th century classical music, I like a lot of rock music, I like atonal music, uh, I have a record collection like most people would not believe. Um, but you know, when, when I'm looking at frequency, I'm often looking in you know, how quote-unquote in tune something can sound, and I guess my meaning uh, how consonant this can be, and then also, you know, what kind of beating patterns, you know, on the other side, you know, how out of tune <laughs> something would be to certain listeners. Now, to me, it's not actually out of tune unless I'm trying to play, you know, a certain song. Um, so I, I have, you know, a lot of interests in, say, you know, u- utilizing the perfect fifth. So having my fundamental tone and then the next tone being, you know, multiplied by three over two would give me the next frequency that would be the perfect fifth. So this is a fifth where essentially there would be no beating. You know, it's just, you know, perfectly, perfectly in tune. Um, you know, I do get a lot of beating because a lot of my instruments move back and forth. So you kind of get this like little, you know, Doppler-like effect as as I'm striking an instrument. But... Uh, in, in this purest form, you know, if I was playing this as like a sine tone, we would hear this as being, you know, very, very consonant. Um, but then I also like to get these these intervals that are very, very close together, you know, sometimes as close to like two hertz a- apart from each other, uh, which to some people, this is like nails on a chalkboard. But for me, within these waves, and most importantly, being able to give my attention to what is happening between these two, two or more tones, you know, there's something that really affects my consciousness, really affects my ability to, uh, you know, enter into the sound. You know, often, you know, the closer the intervals are. Uh, so for myself, I, I, I use kind of like a tension and, and release method uh, with all of my, 
my instruments. Like I, I will bring people to something that maybe are some sounds that you know might not be very comfortable for them. That may actually bring an awareness to them. You know, as to like, oh, I have this pain in my body. These intervals are making me feel this way. Uh, and, and then releasing by playing something very consonant where they can kind of like relax into the sound. Um, so, you know, to me, it's about not one sound. You know, like I'm never playing like, okay, I'm only playing 528 hertz. I'm never playing just that. You know, it's always the relationship between uh, one sound to another sound. You know, so uh, often, you know, a lot of these frequencies can be somewhat arbitrary for me. I mean, it's, it's more important that I know what octave I'm playing in uh, and, and then also, you know, what I'm playing along with it. So when somebody's talking about like, oh, we got to tune to A at 432, you know, I've made that mistake in, in the past. You know, like I've often given sound healing. Once I got interested in sound healing, I allowed it to have other rules outside of music and outside of science that uh, in as far as how I understood these things and, and, and that kind of led me astray a little bit, you know, just for a short period of time before I realized that, uh, wait a second, this isn't what it's all about. Um, but yeah, so you know, when we're talking about tuning at 432, I mean, we're talking really about like relationships that are happening between like all of the notes. Um, you know, my, my, uh, my earth gong is tuned to 136.1 Hertz and, um, you know, so this is 432. So, you know, I can tune to, if I'm tuning everything to my earth gong, it is related to 432 as like a reference note, but within my scales, like I, I usually choose to have an, an A sharp and not an A. So like, I don't even have you know, an A in most of my music, you know, but what I do have are the relationships between the notes and these don't change. Like if I'm playing on the piano and I tune my piano to 449 or 432 or 440 or 424, uh, the space between the notes doesn't change on, on the piano. You know, it's, it's there's, there's always the, the same amount of space between a C to an E if I'm playing an equal temperament or a C to an F if I'm playing an equal temperament, regardless of, you know, what that bass tone is tuned to. And, uh, you know, at this point, I've played with many harmonium players. I've played with many instruments that have fixed tuning. Uh, and, and I'll say that, you know, none of it is more healing than something else. You know, like there's no base fundamental frequency that I've found is any more healing than any other one. I mean, it's really just like trying to keep everything in tune with each other. Are we needing to look at just a single frequency? And then again, it's, it's just, you know, how we're using that in terms of uh, the relationship from one interval to the next. So to me, it's a really long story short, more about, uh, you know, the relationships between the notes and, uh, you know, what I can do with them. Now, I probably think about this a lot more than a lot of other people do. Uh, and, 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 you know, though I'm improvising a lot of the time, I, I take certain compositional liberties within, you know, how I'm putting my set of instruments together. You know, these are the possibilities for how these frequencies can act together. So that's very thought out, like what I'm considering and putting my set of instruments together. Um, you know, like I, I do have a plan, you know, with how these instruments are working together. 
But at the same time, from that point, I like to be able to express myself freely, uh, you know, kind of within these, these you know, constructs that I've created to, to play with. Fantastic. <clears throat> it's, it's a delight for me to hear you kind of pointing the attention away from frequencies and toward intervals or toward relationships and my experience with music and with uh, sound healing work and also in my experiences with uh, acoustics of architecture and the uh, um, sort of in various indigenous healing paths and my study of indigenous uses of sound for healing. That's what keeps coming to me is the importance of relationships over specific frequencies. An example I always like to use is uh, geometry. So if you, <clears throat> for example, if you have a, say a tetrahedron, some very fundamental geometry of space, um, you can have a tetrahedron that's a big tetrahedron or a small tetrahedron. What they have in common is not their size, but the relationships between the angles and the sides. So the geometric relationships are what define a tetrahedron. The geometric relationships are what define a square or a cube or an octahedron or a sphere or any fundamental geometry. It's the same regardless of whether it's a big one or a small one. There's these fundamental relationships that define essentially the, the magic of the universe around us, at least geometrically. And there's, a, there's really pretty good reasons to believe that, the, that geometry is a, kind of a, a big set of clues to how everything works. And I, I really like what you're saying about the intervals and the relationships because I've found... For example, if you get a, an amazing, you get Andre Segovia, hand him a classical guitar, and then have him play one of his most beautiful pieces of music on that guitar, and tune its reference note to A equals 4, you know, 48. Tune its reference note to A equals 440. Tune it to A equals 432. Regardless of the tuning, as long as the relationships are the same that his instrument is tuned to itself when you sit there and listen to him play it you're going to melt it doesn't but if his instrument is tuned not to itself if it's out of tune to itself then it won't sound good what has this there's a really huge difference between a guitar that's not tuned to itself versus a guitar that's tuned to itself and that's that it, the one tuned to itself has these magical relationships in the tones and the frequencies. It's not the, it's not the frequencies themselves, but the relationships. So it's really a delight for me to hear you say that because I don't hear many people saying anything like that. And I think it's a, it's a topic that's of importance um, to consider in this field of sound healing where where I think new ways of thinking or maybe even old ways of thinking need 
or, or it's time for a lot of these things to kind of reemerge. And I think that there's certain ways of looking at things where it all starts to fit together, um, where what we're looking at in sound healing fits very well with science, fits very well with ecology, fits really well with common sense, fits really well with people's mystical experiences, where things, when we start looking at things in a way that makes it more cohesive with the rest of the universe, that to me is a clue that what we're looking at or what we're thinking is actually on the right track in some sense when everything fits together. That's why I think that masters of any art, you get a Kung Fu master, get a physics master, get a painting master, get a master sculptor, a master business person, a master farmer. And by master, I mean someone who, and I'm not going to try to define master here because that's, that's challenging and we don't have time for that. But if you get masters of these various arts together, they will have some shared knowledge um, that's, that's inherent in approaching anything deep enough. And I really think that 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 type of knowledge is where you find the actual truth in what you're doing. Because the truth in one field of knowledge fits with the truth in the other field of knowledge because it's one universe. Um, so, I yeah, I really like what you're saying. To, to change the topic a little, one of the things that you focus on quite a bit, we've discussed at great length, and both of us have uh, shared with each other some very profound experiences of a, of a variety of sorts, um, and is about time and the experience of time. You keep referring to your music and your work as very time-based. Uh, could you talk a little bit about time and your your ideas about it and your experience and why you keep bringing it up? Well, certainly. Uh, you know, I guess first and foremost, I, I should emphasize how much I love drone music and uh, specifically the, the drone in, in uh, Indian classical music. Uh, so the tempura or the shruti box. Uh, and, and I would love to listen to these sounds just on their own. You know, just this, this long drone that is changing over time. And, uh, you know, within this, whenever you listen to something that is perhaps not changing much, uh, you know, we start listening deeper and deeper to hearing in order to be able to hear all of the different nuances that happen in the sound. So, uh, you know, when I was a young man and I was, I was playing the, the uh, air organ and just like holding out, you know, these different tones and listening to the pulsations, um, I would really my consciousness would, you know, begin to focus on the differences in these sounds. And all of a sudden, you know, something that maybe I, I you know, was like, you know, holding this, these notes down for, you know, maybe 10 minutes or something like that. Within that 10 minutes, I would have just all of these different internal experiences. Uh, my mind would really shift and, and, and change through these time, through this time period. And, 
you know, it, it was almost like there was a separation between the, t- the, f- the amount of time that I was playing, say, on a clock and the amount of internal experiences I was having and where the music was, was taking me. Um, so, you know, when we're looking at music, it's kind of a wonderful way to look at time because, you know, really we're beginning to look at perception. And, you know, if we're having something that's like, you know, a a nice little beat, well, we can break that up into what is happening by, you know, measure or, you know, how many beats we're getting per minute. But whenever we really bring our attention into the music and into listening into the music, this can have an effect on us that, like, you know, we, we... can you know kind of expand the mind we can have so many different thoughts we can have uh so many different emotions you know we can really kind of as i said before lose ourselves and so you get into this subjective you know experience of time now me as a musician playing a piece of music for somebody and then that person listening to the piece of music you know we're really experiencing the same amount of time, you know, we're, we're together for like 75 minutes. In that 75 minutes, they've gone, you know, very deep. They've experienced, you know, maybe memories, they've experienced sensations in their body. Uh, some people that time will be very fast. Some people that time will be very slow. Uh, you know, for me, I'm playing, you know, between like 80 instruments as, as over this 75 minute period where I might be playing, like rolling on my instrument, but the sound that is coming out is like, whoa, this is on a gong. Um, and so there are just like all of these different ways to be able to, to look at how time is, is being experienced. And, and it's so subjective and it's so beautiful. Now, one of my favorite quotes is by Lamont Young. And I read this probably when I was 18. Uh, and that was tuning is a function of time. And I think that's such an interesting, interesting uh, way to think about this. Now, of course, when we start measuring uh, frequency, we're looking at, 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 uh, at hertz. You know, so hertz is how many cycles per second uh, something is vibrating. And if we're looking at, you know, say very, very close intervals, so we'll say you know, for, for our purpose, maybe I'm playing two notes that are, are maybe 60 hertz and, and 64 hertz, you know, so we get this four hertz pulsation that really becomes uh, evident, you know, the longer that sound can be played, the longer that sound, those two sounds are relating to each other. And so you start to hear these patterns emerging over time as well which I think is very fascinating. And, and within these patterns, I think especially with drone instruments, like this is, there's like a space, it's almost like a wormhole for consciousness just to enter in. You know, you're listening to this, these two sounds acting together and vibrating. And suddenly, you know, between two of those pulsations, as I'm listening deeply, it's like, wow, I'm in another place. And it's almost like a dream at that point where it's like you can have, you know, two minutes of dreaming and, and, and have experienced a lifetime. 
Uh, it, but when you look on the clock, it's only two minutes. And that's been so fascinating to me is, is you know, where music, where listening very attentively can take the mind, where listening in this way can, you know, take the body. Um, and I mean, it's fundamental to my music and I mean, it's fundamental to all music, you know, and, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with frequency as well. You know, it's like it can't exist alone. You know, I mean, frequency is not just the only thing going on. There's always rhythm. There's always space. There's always silence. Um, you know, th th there's a lot happening with music. And, you know, my thought, and as far as what I'm really trying to teach, you know, anyone who's coming to work with me is like, well, how do we listen? And how do we kind of see the big picture of, of what music is? You know, a lot of the musicians that are coming to me, they're, they're maybe actually non-musicians, people who considered themselves, you know, never to have been able to play an instrument. And on the internet, they read like, oh, I got to do something that's 432 hertz. Well, you know, they're only seeing like a part of the picture, you know, and a very small part of the picture. So, you know, time is a huge part of, of, of this. You know, how long do we choose to play a note? How long do we uh, choose to have silence? You know, are we playing something very fast? Are we playing something very slow? Uh, you know, we can, we can start looking at different ideas as far as entrainment is concerned, both between frequencies and, you know, with, with rhythmic entrainment. Um, you know, there's huge pictures. You start getting into timbre. You start getting into like just the overall quality of the sound. Um, these are all things that are, are really important to the music. But uh, for my music specifically, time is very important. Now, you know, I am a composer slash improviser and also a sound therapist. Um, I have a certain you know something that I'm always searching for within my music. You know, I have a lot of interests that I, that I have, and, and I see that, like, you know, I can create something that is fulfilling me personally and all of the interests that I have in sound and have in music and present it in a way for my listener where it can be, you know, received in a number of different ways, healing being hopefully one of them or self-healing being one of them. And I, I think for a lot of, you know, the, the sound healers in, in the world that I've met, because it's, they're they're reading more than they're actually playing, you know. There are kind of there's kind of this disconnect to like what is really going on, you know. Like there's there's this overall power of you know what music is that I feel is healing, you know, and not necessarily just like saying like okay, I'm only going to play rhythm, or okay, I'm I'm only going to play frequency because that doesn't even exist. You can play me a rhythm and then I can also talk to you about like the quality of the sound. You know, I can even tell you to some extent, like the modes of vibration that are coming on the instrument that you're, you're playing. You know, there are all of these different facets. Um, but for me, time is the most interesting because we're really working with, you know, levels of consciousness. Uh, I, I believe within, you know, how we're, how our attention is focusing, you know, at any given moment to a certain sound is, is really going to, you know, affect, you know, what, what we're experiencing, what the listener is experiencing. And, um, you know, I'm just making a whole lot of choices. I, 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 as I'm performing, I'm, I'm, you know, in a semi-trance state or maybe a, a real trance state at, uh, at certain points, depending on, on you know, the attention that I'm giving to my listening and my energy field and, you know, everything that goes into being a performer. 
And, uh, you know, I'm making all these, you know, real choices in the moment and, and I'm being like really affected by, you know, all of the sounds that I'm playing. And, and it's almost like if I'm able to hold this space within, you know, the time that I have with my listeners, you know, like how, how carefully I'm able to hold on to that space really kind of dictates how their consciousness is being affected and how they're coming with me. You know, so there are certain concerts where I feel like I have all of my listeners with me, you know, and, it, and it's like I'm really creating this soundtrack for their their deep, deep experience. Uh, and then there are also experiences where maybe like the, the listener isn't following with me. Maybe they're experiencing some other sense of time uh, than, you know, the notes that I'm presenting, the frequencies I'm presenting, the rhythms I'm presenting. Um so when it comes down to time, it's like, you know, we're really thinking about attention. And I really like to play, you know, for you know, about 75 minutes when I'm playing my metal instruments. And within 75 minutes, I'm assuming that everybody has to get bored at some point. Every person comes like into the sound and then out of the sound at some point. And more importantly, they, they move and shift their body at some point during one of my performances. And you could almost look at this like, you know, trying to get a good night of sleep. Like you lie, lay down in bed and, and you're kind of, you know, sort of comfortable, but then the body relaxes a little bit and you have to adjust yourself to really kind of suit your new skin. And, uh, and I think that's really important within sound healing is that, you know, we kind of create this space where, you know, people can adjust themselves throughout this time period where they're listening to what is being presented where they can have a number of different experiences uh, and also they're they're safe enough to do you know that kind of work over the amount of time that uh that we have together now, i have all sorts of different ideas on, on time and uh, you know that i'm exploring right now and, and i think that uh perhaps i'm writing a book on on the experience of, of time and, and listening. And I'm at least writing a bunch of stuff about this, <laughs> whether or not it's a book, who knows. Um, but it's a huge interest of mine. And, and, uh, and definitely my music is, is very time-based. I'd say everything from my Hammer Dulcimer music, where I'm playing very fast, to you know my, my, my guitar drone music, which is very slow, to you know the gong music, which is... You know, I guess still kind of slow, uh, even though I'm kind of running around like a maniac, waving my arms through the air, playing 80 instruments. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's always this very interesting experience of time. You said so many interesting things that I would like to discuss for hours upon hours. Yeah, some, so, sometimes I'm a little bit like, and like everything just kind of pours out all at once. But uh, hopefully we're keeping up. Well, for me, it's more the thing that's exciting for me is you're saying a lot of things that I rarely hear anyone else say that also happen to be very, very congruent with the things I think. It's really interesting to me that we both come from such tremendously different backgrounds and so many just very, very different experiences and that simultaneously we've managed to come to a lot of the very similar conclusions or, or I wouldn't call them conclusions but sort of uh, ideas that seem to consistently fit with our observations and experiences um, 
one thing I just wanted to mention was, you know, as you're talking about time and then you talked about dreams and, you know, one thing that most of our listeners have probably experienced in some special way of where you just fall asleep for what the clock out, you know, in the room says is maybe for a few seconds or maybe even a minute. Uh, but during the course of that extraordinarily short clock time, your dream or our dream could be hours, days, lifetimes. There's this really extraordinary uh, way that in that our consciousness can experience really long periods of time that as measured outside of our bodies by a clock is you know, as brief as we want it to be. I've even had experiences where, you know, I was unconscious for, you know, somewhere on the order of a second or less. And during that time in my mind, I experienced these tremendously long, drawn out adventures. But then when I wake up, the person in the room is in the middle of the same sentence. And, but what I wanted to mention is that, you know, dreams and time the aborigines of australia refer to some sort of zone or realm of our conscious experience that they call the dream time and they use the didgeridoo a drone instrument that very much vibrates your body and is very very correlated to your breath and thereby correlated to our heart. Um, They call it the dream time. So I really think that's interesting. The idea of dream time, I've never read anything. Obviously, I'm not an Australian Aborigine, so I don't really know, but I've read quite a bit about it. But never any, never, nothing I ever read is very, satisfying in, in, in its description of what dream time really means. But at the same time, playing my drone instruments, I have gone into states, th- some of which you describe where there's this sort of melting of time that, and also a melting of the distinguishing sort of boundaries between various subsets of the universe primarily being myself and everything around me. When you described your first experience where you saw or met or realized God when you were looking at those strings vibrating and that you sort of merged with them in some sense and in a sense where they're demonstrating through their vibration some sort of fundamental aspect of the universe and that you became in some sense one with it or absorbed in it or within it that really reminds me of what my experiences that have that i i feel like my experiences i've are dream time but anything i read written about it doesn't really say very much i don't it's kind of like the Tao Te ching the first line is the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. So I think that our language structures are always inadequate for describing anything that's very significant. Um, it can also and, get in the way. Exactly. You know, quite a bit. It's like looking at a picture 
of food compared to eating food. <laughs> you know, I, I always say, uh, you know, Robert Anton Wilson's, uh, you know, summation of, of uh, Korzybski, you know, the map is not the territory. <laughs> you know, I think that's so important is, is that, uh, you know, a lot of times we're, we're, we, we think we know what something is, you know, intellectually, but it's, it's so far from, from what it actually is. Um, you know, re- returning to time, you know, I mean, it's amazing. Like we, I play, I, uh, excuse me, I, I practice Kundalini Yoga from time to time, which is very time-based. You know, they give you these exercises and it's like, do this for three minutes. And so I set my timer and then I put my body into this position and I do this breath and, you know, my consciousness expands for this amount of time and, and, and I deal with you know, all of this life energy that is flowing through me and all of these different thoughts. And then all of a sudden, beep, 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 you know, three minutes. Like, <laughs> what? How could that be three minutes? Like, I experienced more in this three minutes than I have in, like, some whole days. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's really interesting. And I think that, you know, sound and, and, and attention can take us to these, like, just wonderful, wonderful places where, you know, consciousness is able to really shift and change and expand. And, and I think there's a lot of healing that comes along with that. And, uh, you know, my, my father, and, and, I, and I say this story often, but uh, this is very important to me in my life. Uh, my father has multiple sclerosis. And uh, he has been, uh, well, he became a paraplegic in the year 2000, and he became a triplegic in the year 2008. And when I play the, uh, the gongs for him or, or the singing bowls for him, he has huge, huge changes physically in his body, uh, first off. Um, but more importantly, he is able to expand his thinking to being, you know, he, he says, he's, he told me, when you play the gong for me, it's like the only time I don't consider myself a sick person. And... You know, I mean, when he said that to me, that was, that was so huge because I was like, wow, his consciousness is expanding beyond how he's relating to himself as a person with like disease. And, you know, for me, I see that as being a huge aspect of healing, like when we can affect consciousness to go beyond the way that we're relating to ourselves. And, and often when we're, we're, we're sick, you know, I get kidney stones sometimes. And, and, you know, for the 12 hours that I'm trying to pass a kidney stone, it's hard for me to see beyond that, which is afflicting me, you know. And, 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 you know, I'm always trying to do like different breathing and things like that so that I can expand myself beyond how I'm relating to my physical body. Um, so there's something really there, you know, like when we're looking at sound healing, we really have to look at consciousness. When we look at time and, 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 and within sound healing, really we're looking at how consciousness is, is changing in these periods. And, you know, just as we said earlier, you know, in that 10 second dream or that, uh, you know, 10 seconds where we really, really enter into the sound, you know, miraculous shifts can happen. Like I've seen people's entire you know, life focus change within a 30 minute sound session where it's just like they were holding on to so many, you know, different notions that they identify with so closely. And the sound and the way, most importantly, the way that they listened to the sound, the way that they were able to really, you know, become subtle with their listening over that time, it opened themselves to like a whole new realm. 
And, uh, you know, I think that psychedelics are, are, are kind of like the same thing. You know, it's like you can have this experience that changes your consciousness for a certain amount of time. And then all of a sudden you come back and you're changed. You know, it, sh it showed you more than you, you could normally see if you were just like, you know, watching TV or, you know, taking a walk or, you know, acting like your normal self. You know, it was, it was something that took you beyond your normal understanding of time and, and that information and how you experienced it was was able to you know open you and help you to expand uh and, and i see sound healing very much being like the same thing you know we're, we're creating this environment for sensitivity to take place for people to yes sometimes like notice what's happening you know very deeply in the body but then to be able to at some point relax enough around the physical sensations where the mind is able to expand where they're able to, you know, experience a different perspective, uh, where they're able to experience themselves in a different way. And, uh, you know, I think that's fundamental to, you know, the space that I think Galena and I are carrying in our work with Crown of Eternity. And, and, and I'd say it's also fundamental to, uh, you know, the work that I'm doing on my own. I really like this quotation from Ralph Waldo Emerson it's very, uh, you know, he's a he's sort of a, a rascal, kind of like an Alan Watts sort of rascal, but from a different time and place. But it definitely connects to uh, what we're talking about. He says, the poet squanders on the hour an amount of life that would be that would more than furnish the seventy years of the man that stands next to him. I'm gonna read that again because I didn't read it so smoothly the first time. The poet squanders on the hour an amount of life that would more than furnish the 70 years of the man that stands next to him. So, and by poet, he's not just meaning somebody who writes poetry, but you're a poet of musical instruments, and some people are poets of woodwork. We can be poets of physics or poets of chef, chefery. I would like to uh, switch gears for a minute, if we can, and get you to tell us uh, ways to reach you, ways to learn about you, ways to get your music and uh, all, all that kind of stuff so that people can stay in touch, learn more about you, get your music, take your classes and whatnot. Probably the best place to check out my work is at www.crownofeternity.com. Uh, Crown of Eternity is the project that I do with my wife, Galena Tamburo. Uh, in this project, we you know, do many concerts, we do the trainings, do a lot of uh, different retreats, and uh, all of it focusing on sound, uh, movement, listening, uh, often playing the gong. Uh, I also have a very extensive catalog of solo music that you can find on my Bandcamp site, which is miketamburo.bandcamp.com. Uh, there's plenty of different music there, from gong music to solo hammer dulcimer music to cathartic noise music to uh, you know ambient music, lots of different stuff is available there. Uh, there are different interviews with me online. Uh, Spirit Voyage has interviewed me quite a bit over the years. Um, they're also a distributor of our music, and we play at a lot of their festivals. 
Um, and you know, the, the best way to experience me is, is really finding me in person. And, uh, I, I think that's, that's really the best way to, to check me out. So our tour dates are up on the website. Fantastic. The listeners who actually take you up on, on that and check you out are going to be the lucky ones amongst us. That's actually how we met is I was looking for good gong recordings, looked far and wide and nothing really was hitting the spot for me. And then I found Mike's album called Earth in Space and I tried it out on one of uh, my sound immersion systems and it is extraordinary. And then I asked him if if I could uh, distribute his album for the sound table, sound immersion system. And he said, let's do something even better. How about I make an album especially for the sound immersion system? And so then he came here and he tried it out and got a sense of what would work well for it. He has already recorded the album and very soon I will be mastering it. So keep your ears and body peeled for that. It's coming soon. So I'd like to, there's so many things I want to talk about, but one thing just to to get back in the groove, would you talk a little bit about trance? Well, you know, of course I have only my own perspective on uh on this and and maybe some of my perspective is similar to other people's perspective on trance um and maybe some of it is very much my own uh you know from for myself I, i sort of see this total immersion in in the moment uh being the major aspect of, of most of my trance states where, where I sort of go beyond my understanding of, of time, uh, where, where consciousness is really able to, you know, take over or, or, or maybe better yet, like my non-ordinary states of consciousness are able to take over. And I, I, I try to, you know, through listening, really enter into the sound. Uh, and, and I think that's really important, you know, when, when we're exploring consciousness is, uh, you know, often my students will talk to me and they'll say, well, you know, I'm seeing all of this like sacred geometry behind my closed eyes. And, and, and there's kind of like this morphing of geometry. Uh, and to me, you know, I say, well, you know, it's beautiful, but like I see that as the entryway. You know, it's kind of like you're walking through the, the foyer into where consciousness, you're going to open the door and just like there's something that is, you know, so much uh, deeper and, and, and more unexplainable than, you know, this, this geometry. Or if I'm listening to the tones, it's like so much deeper than just, you know, the pulsations. It's really the, uh, you know, like the other world. Um and so, you know, for myself to try to enter into these spaces where it's like I'm listening so deeply that I am able to expand, but then at the same time be able to perform. You know, that's always a very interesting uh, experience and, and one that's 
as I'm trying to explain, I realize like very difficult to explain because in one sense I, I, I'm, I'm moving my body and, and you know, my, my, um, the gong setup that Galena and I play, you know, it's, uh, eight feet by 14 feet, you know, 14 feet across eight feet wide. So, you know, essentially we're kind of like almost like dancing around within our instruments and, and within these tones and, you know, as I start getting deeper and deeper into this experience, um, you know, I, I start to expand beyond the instruments and, and, and even beyond uh, even beyond the room. You know, like I, I guess I go into these different these different spaces where, you know, I'm, I'm kind of amplifying my energy field, amplifying my consciousness. And I, I actually prefer playing for, for groups of people. In sound therapy, a lot of people like to do one-on-one. But in some way, like I reach a point where I'm navigating, or I feel that I'm navigating everyone's consciousness within the entire space. And I'll start getting these different feelings, these different, uh, you know, maybe this needs to happen now in relation to what I'm feeling coming from this part of the room. This needs to happen in relation to what's what's happening in, in, in this part of the room. And it's really kind of like I'm, I'm in this space where I'm orchestrating it. Now, whether or not this is like really a trance, I'm definitely in like a very heightened state of, of consciousness where, uh, you know, through my body, through my mind, through my, my consciousness, I'm really exploring, uh, you know, everyone's feelings, everyone's inner experience, everyone's... Uh, you know, depths, if you will. And, um, and I get deeper and deeper, like the more that I allow myself to open and, uh, allow my, 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 my attention to keep expanding into what my listeners are experiencing. You know, it's almost like I'm, I'm, you know, hearing their consciousness at this point or, or, or I'm, I'm, it's almost like directing me in a certain way. Uh, and so, you know, like a lot of times you'll, you know, read about jazz musicians who are improvising and they're like, you know, the music is just pouring through me. It's like, you know, God is speaking through me and the, the creative force is, is, is flowing through the instrument. And, you know, there's a part of that, um, you know, definitely in all of my most successful musical experiences where... You know, like I, I'm kind of like almost like out of the way and I'm making all of these these responses and decisions. I'm still playing the music, but oftentimes, you know, it's as if I'm listening to someone else play. And um, I mean, it's very interesting because as I enter into these like very heightened states through listening, I can hear how the sound is changing with like every movement in the room that's coming along with the instruments I'm playing. Like I can hear people's bodies contracting within the, the sound current. Like it, it's like I'm that hypersensitive and that hyper aware. Um, but it's like I'm in a, a place where, you know, really it's magic. You know, whenever it comes down to it, like I feel like people are coming, sharing this experience, I enter into kind of this beautiful space that allows for, you know, a soundtrack to be created for 
consciousness to expand, for self-healing to take place. And, you know, it's all wrapped up and I get to the point where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm tying this together, and then all of a sudden it's like I become like a human again, or, 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 or something like that. Like I have this huge shift between you know, my experience of, of, of performing uh, you know, the, 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 the sound experience to all of a sudden having to, to talk to people again, and it's two very, very different states of, of consciousness, um, I mean, it, let's say like it's actually like thousands and thousands and thousands of different states of consciousness. And um, depending how deeply I can follow into the sound, you know, there, there's my shift, like, you know, where, where I'm taking things. But then there's also like the entire room. And, and, and I feel like I'm always kind of trying to balance between this experience of myself and, and like, man, like often I've dropped the mallet mid performance. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been like so deep into the experience that, uh, you know, and just like the, the, the listening and, and, you know, the, the disassociation that can even sometimes come through like listening so deeply. And I'm like, Whoa, like I forgot that I'm the one doing this. Um, you know, that, that's, that's such a, a, a powerful thing, you know, to, you know, be playing these sounds for people. And at the same time, I'm playing them for myself and going through all of these different experiences, you know, myself as, as, as the, uh, as the concert is taking place. And, and then also like I'm holding consciousness and, 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 you know, the sound current that I'm creating and, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm explaining this very well. I, I just feel, you know, it's a very interesting space. Now, of course, I've gone into, you know, trance not playing music. Uh, that's maybe, you know, just as difficult to talk about, though. Uh, but I do many different practices, um, you know, to allow myself to enter into these, um, you know, hyper-conscious spaces or trance-like spaces. Um, and then along with this, I have a practice of... of um, using flotation tanks and, and sensory deprivation tanks, which I think is very important to, to my work in that, uh, you know, much of what I'm sharing with people is like this total sound, total stimulation. Uh, and, and, and I'm very much in these vibrations and in all of this energy. And then for myself, one of my major practices being, you know, going into sensory deprivation, floating, and then just like, you know, almost allowing my my body to to leave the this scenario, allowing my mind just to you know really be free, allowing my energy body to be free. Um, this is really where I feel like I integrate all of this work, and it's also where I'm I'm really able to I think understand um, you know these experiences on, on you know at least like a internal level. Um, often I'll, I'll, I'll kind of, you know, lay in the tank and then just like my entire life, everything that, uh, it, it had happened from one float to the next, just all of a sudden falls into perspective. And, um, and other times, you know, I'll lay down in the tank and it's like, I go into, you know, completely different realities and things like that. So, you know, a lot of my trance work is kind of like moving through these different, levels of the multiverse and and i think that's uh you're pretty unique 
uh, aspect of, of, of my life's work. I wasn't expecting it. Uh, that you know, I would just be playing music and, and all of a sudden be like leaving my body. I was never expecting that I would even be able to keep playing music, where I was you know out of my body and even playing for other people. You know, it, it's a very uh, I know it's kind of a sensitive topic. I feel like almost like I'm I'm, I'm talking myself out of it in certain <laughs> ways. Just trying to come up with words for, for what it is, trying to explain you know, to the listener what it's like to enter into non-ordinary states of consciousness while, you know, while playing or, 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 or while being like you know, the person in charge <laughs> of, of the whole group. You know, it's like I'm trying to keep a safe space, but then at the same time, like I'm, I'm so expanded. Like people would talk to me after the concert and like... Their words are just more vibrations you know, coming at me. Yeah, and it's like, wow, like I have to, you know, really all of a sudden like switch from this very heightened sense to, you know, hey, let me sell you the CD or something like that. It's like a very, you know, different experience, like how quickly I, I, I've had to learn how to jump from one space to, to another. That makes me think of another highly related but slightly different topic being the, the mystical experience. And the mystical experience is just as challenging to discuss as trance and perhaps even more so. And perhaps that's what I was describing more than the trance experience. So, you know, forgive me. Yeah, uh, they're very connected. Um, to me, the trance is is that yeah i don't know it's hard to say anything but the mystical state has a particular quality that is sometimes a part of a trance state but not always being that that the person who's having a mystical experience experiences their identity as including everything and everyone this sense of seeing the world outside of us the people around us the universe itself or even as you described when you were playing the stringed instrument and first had a realization of god seeing yourself in some sense one with the instrument um and it reminds me very much for for good reason i think of one of Jesus's two commandments, one of them to love your neighbor as yourself. And to me, that's like the mystical state, which is this, you know, the state of identifying yourself with everyone and everything. It's like the mystical state plus love. And I really think that in my experience, when when I've done any sound healing or any kind of healing work. And also when I'm playing concerts, I play, you know, dance music and I'm on stage playing, you know, drum set and singing, you know, not playing what would traditionally be thought of as a healing music experience, although it very much is. I definitely have a lot of the well, the the best, the sort of grandest or most perfect feeling where the audience has the best feeling and 
I'm having the best feeling and I know that this is the good one. When that happens, it always has this sense of the mystical state of there is no boundary between the so-called me and the so-called them or the so-called me and the so-called drum set. And quite interestingly, and I think this is fascinating and I think it's something that should become more common knowledge is that really by the most advanced physics and the most uh, clearest logic, the very, very scientific, the most stringently scientific perspective that that exists is very clearly is a recognition of the oneness of everything. Uh, quantum mechanics is a really fantastic um, field where that has been sort of made more well-defined and mathematically addressable that there is no boundary between anything. Our boundaries are arbitrary. We name, once we name mama, mama, then we can conceive of our mother as separate from us. But before we name something, there's, it's, it's the boundaries between things are arbitrarily defined by our naming of them, by our designating them as so. And I think that it, it's a really important topic in healing work is to be conscious of the importance of that mystical experience and then adding to it love if you're not feeling kindness and like a sweet caring for the people that you're playing for you could be in a mystical trance and not be having a positive effect on them and if you're in that mystical trance state and you do have caring then to me that is if i were to try to squeeze my beliefs and experiences of sound healing into one sort of simple statement or sentence, it would essentially probably be something like that. At least the act of the sound healer, if I were to try to describe that, is to go into that state where we recognize the other person in a, in a way that's incommunicable. We can't really talk about it, but you know it when you're feeling it. When, when you lose the sense of yourself and the other as being separate, and then in the midst of that, putting love and caring, and then that in some really, the best word I can think of is magical way, conveys information and patterns and organization passing through the sounds and through our body and through our consciousness and healing takes place and i really think that if you well i know if you look at traditional practices of sound healing all over the world they are much better described by that kind of situation than what most people are uh, looking at these days but it's sort of taboo to to talk about that you you shouldn't say anything about you know going into a mystical trance and then loving but interestingly, I find it really amazing that that is Jesus's one of his two commandments 
to love your neighbor as yourself, to love them as your, to have them be yourself or sense them as yourself in any way, that's really a, a description of the mystical state and then putting love into it and then to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. It's like that's the other side of the equation. If while it's that's like the preparation, the training for the sound healer mm. is, is that experience of devotion, of loving the universe, loving the, the creative force, loving everything, loving Mother Nature, loving God being the entire all of everything there is. And then to love your neighbor as yourself could be translated to go into a mystical trance state and put love in there. And so I, I really like what you're saying. And um, yeah, please continue. Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, what, what you just you know, stated so eloquently is, is really beautiful. And, and with my students, you know, the first thing that I, the first rule of practice that, that I tell people is, is the kindness practice. Like we have to learn how to be kind. We have to learn how to, you know, feel what other people are feeling. Um, you know, something Yogi Bhajan said that was has always stayed with me is, is that, uh, you know, the, the job of the, 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 the teacher is really to be like the forklift, meet people where they're at and then be able to uplift them. And, um, you know, sometimes the, the hardest thing is like learning how to be kind to people, learning how to really <laughs> listen to people. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so I'm always, you know, in this place where I, I'm practicing this myself even, you know, this is always an opportunity for me. Like, how can I, how can I come deeper into my heart? You know, how can I bring others to their heart? Um, you know, often an issue that I have with a, a lot of teachers and, and you know, I, I'm one who says, like, look, I can learn from, you know, the worst charlatan in the world. I, I can still learn something from them. But one issue I have is that people are not willing to meet each other, like where they're at, you know, and then there's a sense of hierarchy, you know, like, oh, I've never had this experience, you know, like that you're having. I, I'm, I'm looking down at you like I can never look down at anyone. You know, if I'm doing this work effectively, like I have to be able to see where they're at and realize, wow, if I was in that position, I could have made this mistake. Well, if I was in this position, I could have made these choices. And then like, you know, from that space of like understanding, you know, I'm really moved. And, and, and it's, it's almost like, you know, certain, I cry a lot. Like, you know, my students will say things to me and like, it will move me and I'll just cry in front of them. And, and a, a lot of times I almost feel like this is like very healing. Like, look, oh, I'm moved by what you're saying. I'm moved by this experience. And like, let me process for it, it for you in front of all of these people. <laughs> like, let me become vulnerable. Like, let me, you know, let me really feel this. And like, wow, yeah, that is really hard. You know, wow, that is really beautiful. Wow. You know, I, I, I'm connecting to you and, you know, let me show you this. And, um, and, you know, I think that like, really like the, the, the job of the, the sound therapist is it's like an upliftment, you know, it's like bringing a person, meeting a person where they're at. And, 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 you know, people are always saying like, you know, change the vibration, raise the vibration, but, and it is something like that. Maybe, you know, raising the vibration is not the right I like, term. I like the term to replace raise the vibration 
with harmonize. Oh yeah, beautiful. It makes it's it yeah. says what people are trying to say, but it actually makes sense because a higher frequency isn't better than a low frequency. It doesn't make any sense. But harmon harmony is actually, I think, what people are actually meaning. I agree. I agree. So, you know, bringing the situation where, you know, maybe there is dissonance, you know, like opening up that experience so that, you know, we, we can feel harmonic within this and, and where we can perhaps ex expand our consciousness beyond the way that we're relating to something. And, and I, I think that's a major issue that people have as well, is just like we relate so deeply to what we think that we're experiencing. And one of my first teachers was like, anytime that you're upset, you know, imagine that you're 100 feet up in the air looking down at yourself. And if, if you do that, you're either just like, you know, you can't even see yourself sometimes or, <laughs> or, or maybe like you're just sitting there doing nothing and you're, and you're just, you know, all of this is in your head or you're running around like a maniac, just like, you know, blah, 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 I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And to be able to change the context of, of our experience is, I think, really important to, uh, you know, to being able to, to move beyond these patterns that we have, to be able to, uh, you know, to, to be able to, to, to heal a lot of aspects of, of what is happening. Because, you know, I've been hurt a few times, and I'll say this, like, there's, there's always a mental aspect of all of my physical pain. And mm -hmm. I often have to move beyond that. And, and, you know, during sound therapy sessions, there are often people who all of a sudden are reliving old pain, mm. you know, almost like, you know, seeing that trauma happen, you know, within the experience, like, oh, my God, I didn't think about this, you know, in, in 30 years. And then all of a sudden, my, my shoulders started feeling hot. And I started having these, these visions of, you know, this thing that happened to me 30 years ago. And, but then it's kind of like, I, I feel like when, hopefully when things like that come up, it's like, wow, now this is finally kind of working itself out of the body. Now we're able to, you know, reframe this mentally speaking in, in, in a different way than perhaps we we're relating to it before, or perhaps like, you know, it was like so buried because we couldn't deal with it. And then all of a sudden, you know, that is coming up now and, and you're stronger and you're changed and you're able to have a different perspective. Uh, so a lot of it is being able to like hold a really safe space for people to, uh, you know, to, to look at themselves, for people to be able to, uh, you know, to self-heal, for people to be able to explore themselves. And, and I really think it starts with, with, with kindness, uh, with, with, with how we're holding the space. And then also like really the space that we're, we're offering to people. You know, like uh, Timothy Leary was always talking about set and setting. And, and I think that's so important with, with sound healing. Yes. You know, what kind of space am I bringing people into? And, you know, be, before Galena, when Galena and I are, you know, kind of like framing our concert, you know, we actually talk a lot. I know a lot of people are like, you know, don't say anything about what this experience is going to be. I, I personally feel like what I'm offering that that would maybe be kind of negligible if, if I wasn't to, you know, talk about the, the experience. Um, you know, I make an agreement with everyone in the room that we're creating a safe space together and that we all understand that we're becoming vulnerable in this space together. I ask that people don't touch each other during the experience. I ask that, you know, 
we don't allow you know somebody burping or farting or snoring or anything like that to make us angry at other people who are having this experience you know I, I create a space where any process work any inner work uh, is, is welcome but then I also give people like an out you know saying like look if you just open your eyes if anything is too difficult, if you just open your eyes and you know look at this goofy man <laughs> wailing around in front of you, and and when my wife is performing with me, this beautiful woman who is there, and just watch us for a little bit and breathe and 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 you know kind of have a different experience than what you're having, you know things change very quickly, um, and and I feel you know a great great responsibility to my listener. And, and I think that what you were saying before, um, earlier about, you know, sometimes we can enter into these mystical spaces and it's like, we almost like forget that there are other people that are there. Well, like for me, I never forget that there are other people there. You know, like I try to listen so deeply into this experience that like, they're really a part of the, the sonic field that, that, you know, I'm creating. Like, I consider it almost to be like a co-creation with everyone who's coming to, you know, listen to us perform. And, and, and I'm really grateful, you know, always that, like, I have that audience there and that we're doing this work together because at the same time, like, you know, I'm, you know, I need this. <laughs> You know, they're like my audience, my listeners are providing a space for me to explore, you know, how I need to heal with sound. And I think all of us that are doing the sound work, sometimes we forget that, like, you know, it's always this idea of like doing, 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 and, and not so much like sharing. And, and, and for me, it's really like, you know, I need the gong. I need to have bells. I need to have like, you know, long oscillating patterns of sound for my self-healing. And it's it's a benefit that others are able to to have this as well. So there's there's this beautiful agreement that I think we're all making whenever we, you know, are offering sound as therapy or, 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 or the therapeutic aspects of sound or, you know, sound through consciousness change or, or whatever we want to call this. Um, you know, there's this beautiful agreement. I'm not just doing this by myself. It's a very different experience. Me practicing and being alone in all the different places that I can take sound is very, very different than me playing for one person, 10 people, 100 people, 2,000 people. It's, it's very different. And, and I really feel like just the act of that many people having, you know, the, 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 you know, the faith in me, really, that, that I can hold a space for them to, to explore themselves with. Like, it's just beautiful. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. And, 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 uh, and again, I feel a lot of responsibility with this. And, you know, to start this, to return this, I mean, it, it all starts from being kind. You know, I, I think that if, if I didn't care as much about my listeners as I feel that I do, I don't think I would be able to offer the same experience. And, and I think that's really, you know, I've taught maybe about a little over 200 people, the gong at this point. And, and if anything, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get two things across. Like, you know, 
How do you hold space for your listeners? How do you be kind? And then also, how do you listen to what you're playing? <laughs> because that's the other issue that I, I, I see with a lot of sound workers is that they're just doing and they're not listening. Mm-hmm. You know, they're in the space where they're not receiving the, vi- the vibrations that they're, that they're sharing. Or, or maybe they're, you know, so in the movement. I, I, I teach a lot of gong players, so like I just see the arm moving. And I don't actually see the player listening to what they're doing. And, uh, you know, if you're not listening to the sound, then I I think you can, sure, you can be very deep in this experience. Um, But you may not have any idea what your listeners are experiencing. You know, you you may not understand. And, and, you know, I got to I'll admit that, you know, there are some performances I give where like half the audience is, you know, fantastic and elevated. And there will be a few people that have a really, really hard time. And, uh, you know, I try to be, you know, sensitive to that. I try to work with dynamics in a certain way that hopefully allows for that tension and release that I mentioned earlier. But, um, but I think that if you're just moving the arm, if you're not listening to the nuance and to the subtleties that you're creating or hopefully creating, then you're missing a whole lot of the experience. And, and, and to me, you know, my, my second role after being kind as far as what I'm teaching to uh, you know, people who wish to learn from me is that you have to listen more than you're playing. So you said something the other day that delighted me so very much to hear you say it because I guess because you know like everybody likes the smell of their own pillow but it's I've never heard anybody else say it and it's actually something I say all the time people it's very common in sound healing world uh, especially when people are first getting into it people tend to ask what do I do what's the protocol What's the system? Do I, you know, I put a tuning fork here for five seconds, tunes to this note, and then I put another tuning fork here, and then I hit this gong three times or whatever. They want a formula. It's like a prescription. Here's, here's sound healing. And usually the, the thing that I say that is kind of my medicine for that sort of mistaken perspective that people come to it with is I say that really good sound healing work is, and this is, this is my perspective and it turned out to my delight that it seems to be yours as well because you said it, but that, that good sound healing work is more based upon the body is designed to heal itself nothing the body the human body is a self-healing system that's one of the most amazing things about it that's part of what you know distinguishes it from something like a car hopefully someday a car or you know a machine can heal itself but for now it can't that'll save me a lot on insurance yeah but the body is a (laughs) is a self-healing system and nothing and no one knows how to heal your body better than your body does Mm -hmm. and so I say that good sound healing work is you're essentially making a soundtrack for the person's self-healing. And you said when you're, you know, in the part of your class where you're focusing on, you know, healing practices, 
you said pretty much exactly the same thing. It made me really excited. So I just wanted to bring that up. Well, and, you know, definitely that's my philosophy. And, and, and people ask me for protocols all the time. And, and I'm not, you know, willing to, to give protocols. I'd, I'd much rather you really, you know, talk to the person that's, that's coming to you for, for whatever treatment you're, you're trying to give or whatever you're trying to share. I'd, I'd, I'd much rather you create something in the moment that is like, you know, how do I relate to, you know, how, how, how I'm feeling, you know, being with this person or, or what I feel like they need. And, and, uh, you know, so it's very personal, but I'm going to say this, you know, like I, I've done a lot of sound therapy work with, uh, with different teachers who are all wonderful and, 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 in their own way. And, um, and sometimes, you know, you go and you get a tuning fork protocol or you get a, a singing bowl protocol. And I mean, it still works, you know, putting the bowl on different parts of the body, like certainly like that is, is very nice. I've seen it, you know, work a number of times and, and you know, it's fine. But I, but I think that it, like when we start treating every single person as if it's the same person, you know, there's something missing there. A lot missing. It gives you the ability to not be completely attentive and present. to the moment. Yeah, you're you, you you have the option of opting out, and that's that brings us to a topic that I wanted to make sure we touched on a little more while we're still in this, and it's another thing that I like that to hear. I heard you talking about it at great length, and it's also something that I think is very important in sound healing work, and it's also a topic that is notoriously absent from almost every book I can find or workshop or website about sound healing, which is improvisation, improvisation. Mm. Um, and, and this is really connected to what you were just saying in order to improvise. Well, you have to have, there's a lot of things that have to be in place and, but a couple that are particularly important one being very present in the moment and very attentive to every the things around you, mm-hmm. being attentive to the sound, listening with your whole self. and Listening be- to the room, listening to people listening. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Listening with your eyes, listening with every part of yourself, and then creatively spontaneously acting and while while you're in that state so i just wanted to just bring that back up because you you have mentioned it a few times yeah improvisation i think is uh you know probably one of the most important aspects of of the work that i'm doing the work that uh i'm doing with galena the work that i'm doing on my own and i also do compose as well uh, but you know, w- w- within all of my compositions, there's been some aspect of improvisation. Even it's just a matter of what what I remember. Uh, but really, being in the moment, um, you know, I grew up in, you know around a lot of experimental music and a lot of jazz music. Um, the Pittsburgh scene in the 1990s was was wonderful for this, and Pittsburgh music scene. 
Um, and, you know, I'd go see good jazz and, and I was into like a lot of free jazz at the time. So maybe my idea of good jazz <laughs> and somebody else's idea of good jazz is, is pretty subjective. Um, but, you know, these, these improvisers, um, you know, one, one, for instance, Micah Goff, uh, who I think lives in New York City now. And, and uh, I saw him play live quite a bit. And uh, he played in a band at the time called 40 Stories. I think now he's played with Charles Gale, and, and, and he's probably released some music on his own. But he would be playing saxophone, and in certain moments it was like, you know, playing so much more than the saxophone. You know, I mean, it was like he was playing his voice through the saxophone. It's like at certain times he was sometimes like almost screaming through the saxophone. <laughs> And, um, but even more than that, it was like, I felt this huge presence, this energetic presence coming at me through the music he was creating. And, and I've seen this with like all great improvisers. It's not just the sound. Well, let me say, let, let me switch that because I've seen some improviser just kind of sit there, but with many great improvisers, it's not just the sound, but like, you know, how the sound is being, you know, unleashed through them. And it's very much like kind of a, an energetic experience that, that comes along with, you know, good improvisation. I mean, especially if you're looking at like maybe like a, a drummer who's improvising. I mean, they're, if you just had them in a seat doing those movements without the drums there, I mean, they would look like they were having a seizure sometimes, <laughs> you know. And, 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 you know, there's this like huge amount of energy that's coming from a live musician in front of you. Um and I think that's very powerful. And, and, and I think that, uh, you know, just being in that energy sometimes of somebody like really in the moment, like, you know, putting their soul into the music soul. is just like so, so healing for me to be around. Like, you know, the, like the, the, the healing I get, you know, is going and listening to good improvisers, you know, going and listening to masters of, of, of their instruments. Like, I, I, I snore a lot, so, like, I'm not a huge <laughs> fan of just, like, going and listening to, like, you know, a singing bowl or, or even really, like, you know, something that I know that I can already, you know, do. Um, you know, for me, I, I, I like to go listen to improvised music or, or uh, you know, lots of different types of music. I just love listening to live music. Um, I think that that's something that's really important that we consider is like we're creating a live music experience for people. Now, a lot of people are like, oh, sound healing is not music. And to that, I say, like, why? You know, a lot of people will say, like, well, musicians make terrible sound healers. Well, to that, I say, why? You know, that doesn't make sense. Just because you know about music doesn't make you less effective. You know, I mean, if perhaps you have like, you know, crutches and things like that, oh, I can't get beyond, you know, the written page or, or, or something like that. Well, then maybe you're just not a good improviser, but still maybe the music that you're creating can be healing. Uh, to me, all music has the potential for, for healing. Yes. It's really like how it's, it's being received. You say that again. To me, all music has the potential to be healing. It's just really how it's being received. And I think that's really important because like a lot of people will say like, oh, why is that person listening to heavy metal? Or why is that person listening to gangster rap? Or why is this? Why is that? And to me, like, well, obviously they're getting something out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, like maybe like, you know, catharsis is healing. Maybe actually like coming up and like, you know, having a little bit of anger come out can be healing. Uh, I, I think a lot of times, like, we need to look at, like, you know, even what is our definition of healing? Because in, in, in many cases, it, it's it's totally off. Um, 
But, you know, to me, just like the way that we're receiving music, you know, how is that useful? And uh, in, in, my, in our concerts, you know, like I'm offering, again, very consonant sounds sometimes, but like also sounds that sound like, you know, a train's about to hit you or like you know, an airplane's about to crash or, you know, something like the gong has so many different sounds that come out of it. And, and you know, the gong has been used in, in the canon of, uh, you know, scary movie soundtracks all the time. So even sometimes, you know, people will be like, oh, my God, like I heard this sound and I got scared. And it's not so much to me, like, interesting that, like, you know, like, oh, it was like, you know, I was rubbing on the gong or, or something like that. But it's more like, wow, you heard a sound and that sound elicited fear within you. And that's very interesting to me, you know, because there was already, you know, it was just a sound. But within some kind of context, it, it brought up, you know, hey, I have fear here or hey, I have sadness here. I like looking at that in uh a very particular way that I think help, helps people understand it. If you go to a massage therapist and everywhere they touch you, they only touch you in the places that's soothing and relaxing, mm. you'll leave probably in, in at least most cases unsatisfied a lot of the satisfaction and healing that comes from massage therapy is when they find that spot where they press and it hurts. Mm. And through that process of releasing those knots in your muscles, that makes the soothing part more effective. Mm. And I, I feel like that that's another part of sound healing practices that's generally overlooked that people don't talk about much is that it's just, I think, you know, what you were saying that, and that it kind of explains how heavy metal music can be healing. If you're a angsty 14 year old who's, you know, got a really, really, you know, sort of repressive life with people that don't allow them to express themselves and they just feel bound up and then they have mm. to wake up every day and go get in some government box with no windows and oh. be told to think and do things that they can't stand. Heavy metal music can be one of the most healing things that 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 kid doesn't need gentle flute music. <laughs> he needs, you know, yeah, whatever, you know, hardcore heavy metal music to free his mind. And then later, maybe he'll soften up and want to play a gentle flute. Sure, and but, I'd say that you know that very much happened to me. You me know? too. <laughs> like I just. I just loved music so much and, and it set me free in so many different ways because I allowed myself to like, you know, keep listening and, and, and most importantly, like I've allowed music to help me to evolve yes. so much so that like, you know, anytime I change like the tuning of like, say my hand, hammer dulcimer or something, it's like, I feel like my whole life changes because all of a sudden I'm like listening to different sounds. I'm listening to different notes. I, I, my, my attack on the instrument is different. The amount of sustain I give is different. And, you know, in terms of that, I, I start acting, you know, kind of differently and, 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 uh, you know, I, I have a very broad taste in music. Like I, I make give give myself a rule a long time ago that I listen to at least one new piece of music every day. 
you know, just to, you know, as John Bullier says, uh, you know, this, this creates a flexible listener. You know, the more you can listen to, the more flexible you're going to be in your life. Mm. And, and, you know, that's something that John said that is, is just so huge for me. So I think that really, you know, as I'm teaching sound therapy, and, and, and I'll admit, you know, I'm a person who can self-correct a lot, so I've not always been right. But, you know, over the last, you know, 10 or so years that I've really been, you know, focusing on, on, on teaching this, um, what I'm really teaching is listening. And what I'm really teaching is receiving the sound. And may, I may have started out thinking it was all about the instrument or all about the tuning or all about the rhythm or, or whatever it was. But really it's about like, you know, how is this being received? And I think that's so important. And I think that as, as sound therapists... We need to teach ourselves how to listen better. Yes. And I think that we need to also, you know, teach our, 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 the people who are coming to have these experiences. How do you listen to this sound? How do you listen to harmonics? How do you listen to different modes of vibration? How do you listen to these overtones that are stacked all to, uh, over top of each other? You know, sometimes we're playing like maybe like, you know, six gongs at one time sometimes, my wife and I. That's a lot of sound. I mean, there are, you know, each of these gongs has, you know, many, many, many sounds coming out of it. You start stacking fundamentals, you get difference tones, you get summation tones, you add another instrument, you know, there's oscillations happening. You know, it's just like, whoa, 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 so much sound stacked on top of each other. It's almost overwhelming if you don't know how to listen to it all. And then you add psychoacoustics into it. You know, the fact that like every single person in the room has their own vantage point to where these sounds are being created. And, you know, how do you listen to it from, from the seat you're in? I always joke with my students, like, or not with my students, with my audience. I'm like, well, if you don't like what you're hearing right now, if you just move your head, you might like it a little bit more because it can be that subtle of a change that like, you know, if your head is too close to the floor, you're hearing one kind of sound. If your head is too close to the wall, you're hearing another kind of sound. You know, if you're sitting up, you're hearing another kind of sound. You know, how do we, how do we help people to navigate through this, this, you know, orchestra of sounds that we're, we're creating? I mean, for, for me, you know, discovering John Cage at, at a really early age was, was amazing. Uh, you know, he wrote pieces of music where, you know, maybe there was like just silence, you know, four minutes and 33 seconds of silence and, and where we were just listening to the environment and, and you know cage was always giving these you know little you know hints within the concerts that he wanted you to be listening to like more than just the the music you know and, and i've really held on to this you know pretty deeply that they're when i'm creating a sonic experience like we're trying to listen to all sounds you know the sounds of the outside the sounds of all of the instruments that we're playing the sounds of everybody in the room and, and that uh you know, it's, it's not about limiting what we're listening to. It's really about being able to expand and, and soften into our entire sonic environment. Uh, you know, the work of Pauline Oliveros was just incredibly inspiring to me. And, and I feel like maybe, you know, she's looked at, uh, you know, the power of listening, I think, in a much better way than John Cage had. Uh, but, you know, she's really, you know, creating a practice of listening, and that's so important because with, with, with all of these instruments, we really have to, to practice playing an instrument. 
Um, you know, we're, and I think we also really have to practice listening as well. Uh, Marian Amateur, who is another composer that I, I really love, you know, she you know, said, hey, you go to music school and you, you learn everything about music except for, you know, what the ear is actually doing. You know, how are we hearing? And, and, and I think that's a really interesting point that we need to be taking into account whenever we're playing these types of instruments and asking for like real, you know, focused listening, like what, like, what is the mechanism of the ear? How is it receiving sound? You know, what is acoustics? You know, is there a better way for me to present these sounds? And, and again, it has to be practiced. It has to be explored and has to be experimented with. Um, you know, I, I play very differently today than I played a year ago or, or five years ago, and, and I'll play very differently next year because, you know, I, I keep changing, I keep exploring, and, and, and through exploration, I throw out things that don't work for me in the past. I'm always self-correcting, you know, like, wait, this didn't work, or wait, th this, this, this came up, you know, one of my listeners had this experience. I didn't know that was possible that somebody could receive the sound like this. And so I have to adjust and I have to change. Um, so it's like opening up to listening on like a number of levels, you know, like I have to learn how to listen to these sounds as a player, but then I also have to learn how to like, you know, listen to feedback coming from my audience in certain ways. I have to learn how to listen to my intuition. You know, there, there's really so much training that has to go on and, and, and self-practice that has to go on just with the act of, you know, what it really means to listen. Well, I wanted to, and I'm really, I'm glad you were saying all that because really that's the theme, underlying theme of this episode is listening. And that's a part of sound healing that's actually quite surprisingly oft neglected is learning how to listen deeper, learning how to listen to all the different layers, learning how to listen to all the sounds at once, learning how to listen to the people, learning how to listen to ourselves, learning how to listen to our minds, to our emotions, to our hearts. And I mean, I'm really glad you discuss that a little more one thing i want to close out pretty soon well i don't want to but in order to uh you know make this a reasonable length um we'll come to a close soon uh but hopefully we'll have you back on the show because we obviously have a lot of exciting and interesting things to talk about yeah y'all are just getting to know me <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot more that i can talk about <laughs> Yes, yeah, so one quotation came to mind. I think it's a paraphrase of an old, uh, I think it's an old Buddhist saying, but Donovan sang a song. First there is a mountain, then there is no mountain, then there is. And that came to mind a little while ago when you're talking about people seeing these elaborate geometries and such when they're, you know, listening to the sounds or working with sound. I think that to me that that statement, first there is a mountain, then there is no mountain, then there is, mm. that when we're first when in, in our regular life growing up or whatnot, for most of us, 
the world is kind of this regular situation, not when we're kids, but once we become, you know, adults or young adults, generally the world becomes sort of, you know, a little bit more like a TV show or like a newspaper article or, you know, you go to, especially in school, they really make it seem like the world is just not magical. Mm. And then at some point we get into, you know, yoga practice or meditation or sound therapy or even, you know, studying science really deeply or into some sort of religious practice or something that takes us deeper into this sort of where all the regularities that we thought were in the world sort of melt and everything becomes much more unknown and mysterious and mystical and very basically kind of melts into the unknown, into the unfathomable mystery. And a lot of, you know, people get into, for example, in, in, you know, the sound therapy world, a lot of, you know, very new age kind of stuff and rainbows and auras and chakras and whatnot. And then in, in my experience, and I, and obviously there's other people who have this kind of feeling that have, you know, that's been popularized in a, a saying, like I just said, first there is a mountain, then there is no mountain, then there is, that at some point after sort of experiencing all that mis- mystery in such a way as to maybe sort of question who you thought you were mm. and who you thought, the what you thought the world was, there's kind of almost a surrender to that that takes place and then it all comes back to you're just a guy hitting a gong or I'm just a guy playing the drums and the mysterious magic is still there and it was always there in the first place but now it's just back to it's almost normal it's not quite as far out even though it's still far out and it's Mm. hard to say like there's the the old Zen saying of, you know, kind of was it like before enlightenment, just chopping wood and carrying All water. Right. And then after enlightenment, just chopping wood and carrying water. Mm. And I, I don't know if I quoted that correctly, but it's you know close. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Can you, uh, b- b- as kind of to round us up, say something about your experience in that regard? Well, certainly. And I mean, this is probably the first time or a great time for my uh, catchphrase, uh, (laughs) which is you can fill a universe with what I don't know. And, uh, you know, that's really important to me uh, just just to keep my myself in check and, and to understand that, you know, no matter how much I learn or how much I experience, there's still, you know, worlds and worlds and worlds of of wisdom that I, I will never understand, worlds of, of experiences I will never experience. Um, so it helps to keep things in perspective. Um, you know, they're the, I'm trying to remember this, this Buckminster Fuller uh, analogy. You know, he, he says, you know, when, when we're all born, we're naked, you know, and, 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 you know, there's just like this huge, you know, world around us. We don't know how to do anything. We're, we're, we're completely helpless. And, you know, we keep kind of learning by trial and error. You know, it's like, 
we try to walk, we can't walk, we fall. We try to walk, we can't walk, we fall. We try to walk, we succeed. You know, and then all of a sudden the next thing comes up. Okay, we try this a bunch of times and and and, and we succeed. And, and at a certain point, you know, there's this resilience within us that keeps us, you know, exploring and keeps us learning to the point where eventually we're building, you know, airplanes and, 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 and we're building space shuttles and, and, and we're doing all of these wonderful things. I mean, like there, there's, um, you know, something that comes along with, um, you know, with, with, with trying and failing and allowing ourselves to change and allowing mm. ourselves to grow and allowing ourselves to evolve and, you know, for myself, you know, when I first got into sound therapy, I, I read all of these different books and some of them have, you know, great truths and some of them, maybe they were just trying to sell me a book or, or something like that. And, and I've kind of been in this process recently of, uh, you know, unlearning a, a lot of what I thought I knew and, um, and kind of like getting to a point where, you know, like what is real, you know, with this, like if, if I'm a person who's sharing, you know, with 16 people every single time that I teach a class and then those 16 people go on and share with more and more and more people, you know, like what am I like, what am I sharing? I have to share, you know, what is real and, and, and what is true. Uh, and, and so for myself, I've kind of been in this, you know, self-correcting phase where, you know, I really just want to get to the, the essence of everything. And, and, you know, perhaps certain things were very important to me at certain times on my journey. But are those things I really need to be sharing with other people? Or is that something that was just like a part of my journey? Um, but coming back to first, there is a mountain, then there is no mountain, then there is. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's this, this beauty of being able to see something with new eyes or new ears over and over again to, you know, the point where, you know, if we're looking at something or ourselves or a mountain and then we become so heightened to see that everything is just in, you know, vibrational flux and, and, and maybe we be, you become prematurely enlightened for a few moments <laughs> and, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's this new perspective and perhaps often it's, it's that we're able to, that it's very important that we're able to, you know, see things in a different way. You know, as you were saying, like once we, we start naming things that like perhaps we stop seeing them in the same way. And, you know, I'm very into Gurdjieff, who, uh, you know, always calls people out on how unaware we become once we name something. And I think that it, it, it's really important that you know, we continue to look at ourselves and we continue to look at our lives and, you know, see new frames, like see with like, you know, rose colored eyes, rose colored glasses, orange colored glasses, yellow glasses, and then back to our, our eyes and, and, and see how all of these different shifts in perspective and, and, and different changes, you know, allow us to see something and, and, and you know, innumerable ways that even if like I was just looking at one object you know I could say you know I, I can fill a universe with what I don't know well, you know like I, I can almost say that about any object 
I can say that about any person. I can say that about myself, that there's just like boundless worlds and boundless experiences that you know can be had if if we just allow ourselves to to reframe or shift our consciousness beyond our normal way of thinking. Beautiful. That reminds me <clears throat> that reminds me of uh lately I've had an experience of I guess a lot more of the third part of you know first there's a mountain then there is no mountain then there is being here in the mountains where I am and walking out in my yard and realizing that I could spend my entire life exploring the beauty of my yard, the patterns on the trees, the leaves, the flowers, and I would never even come close to covering it. Just the bark on one single tree you could spend a life devoted to its beauty and then in, in my book it'd be a fairly well-lived life yeah. but for some people they just see tree and they have the mental image of a tree and then they no longer even look at that tree anymore you know mm. it's just tree and then yeah. you don't see like the beauty and the nuance and i feel like that's a great sadness that that we do that and of course it is also sometimes overwhelming whenever we let in all of that information and all of that poetry you know, where you could just be in your yard for the rest of your life. Um, you know, for some people that is, you know, perfect and, and, and what they need. And, you know, for other people, maybe they need to walk out to the street too or, or, or something like that. I'd like to bring that uh, to a quotation uh, from Alan Watts that I wanted to get in here somewhere. And I feel like this is perfect. No time, time like the present. Yeah, that... This is from Alan Watts. To a child, no wiggle is just a wiggle. So I'll let the listeners think about that one. And is there anything you'd like to say, Mike? First of all, I want to thank you so much for spending your time sharing all this with our listeners. Thank you for your good work in the world. Thank you for uh, your presence and Thanks for being here at my house. We have a lot of fun things to do. And yeah, I uh, really appreciate you and I'm sure that our listeners do as well. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with before we go? Well, um, you know, I usually close with a very similar uh, prayer or intention that, uh, you know, we're all able to seek inspiration and that we're all able to be inspired and that we're all able to inspire that we are able to allow ourselves to be uplifted and that we allow ourselves to uplift others that we discover the true talent that we all have in our life and that we use that talent for the betterment of our community for the betterment of humanity that we speak with true words and that our words are heard and that we speak harmoniously that our actions can be peaceful and that our hearts can be open so i thank you thomas and i thank you mm -hmm. dear listener for sharing this experience with us and uh i'm just in gratitude that uh i get to do this work 
and uh, and that it's of benefit to to others. So listen deeply, my friends. Hmm. Thank you, Mike. So, until next time, I am Thomas Orr Anderson on the art and science of sound healing. Be blessed. Thank you.